Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. All right, we're going to be wrapping up our Stand in the Gap series today. So uh, we're going to start off and we're going to pray and believe that God's going to impart some stuff to us today. Lord, we just invite your presence into this place this morning. And we just say, come and have your way as your word is preached. We know that there's power because it's living, it's active. And we just agree that it's going to be living and active in our hearts as we yield to your spirit and the work that you're going to do inside of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be preaching a, a version of a message that I preached, I don't know, it was a year or two ago. But there's so many people that are newer to our church. And when it comes to this Stand in the Gap series, I felt like this is really foundational. We have to get this if we are going to move forward and if we are going to be the Stand in the Gap type of people. And so if you heard this, this is going to be a good refresher. If you haven't heard this, I want you to just open up your heart today because it's going to be kind of some soul searching a little bit as we get into this message. Uh, I want to first start off and tell you, uh, something I've also shared with you before. All growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in a Christian family, and I would go to church and I would hear all of these stories that people would tell about how they, you know, had this horrible thing happen in their life, how they were crazy addicted to this or that or the other, this horrible tragedy, and God came in and lifted them out of the miry clay and set their feet on the rock, and the, their testimony after testimony and story after story, and, and they were powerful. And so all growing up in my, you know, younger years, I thought, man, if I really want to be used by God. I need some awesome, horrible testimony. I need something really bad to happen to me. I need to get into a lot of trouble. I need to make a mess out of my life somehow and be snatched from the grip of Satan's hands. And then all of a sudden, then God can, can use that. And I always wanted an awesome, horrible testimony growing up. And, and then one day God realized, God showed me, he said, you know what? You have an awesome testimony. You have a testimony. I just didn't think I had one. I thought I've grown up in a Christian home. Nothing exciting has really happened in my life. There's been no real big ups and downs. I wasn't the prodigal son that ran away. I mean, there's nothing, there's no storyline there. And God began to share with me why I didn't need to have an awesome, horrible testimony. And it's because my father, who was, uh, he, he had an awesome, horrible testimony. He was addicted to drugs. He was an alcoholic. He was homeless. He was on his way to hell. He was just messed up in his late teenage and early 20s. And he was just, I mean, just life was messed up. There was no hope for this guy in and out of jail. All, I mean, just messed up as messed up can be. And one night, God got a hold of his heart, and he went, in, and he went to a, a little church that was having a revival in a little town outside of Cameron, Missouri. And he came, and he snuck in on the back row and heard the, the preacher preach a gospel message. And there in that moment, with, with all of his mess and all of his life messed up and his tattered clothes, and he probably didn't smell that great. And he's probably watching right now, actually. But... Uh, but his, and he would just, I mean, he would tell you the same thing. It just, life was messed up. And he slid on that back road and, row and heard the gospel message. And he came down to the front and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. That one decision sent ripple effects. Sent ripple effects. And I'll tell you some of the ripple effects that it's had just because of that one decision. Well, obviously, 
uh, he went on and he got married to my mom. And we, I have four brothers, so there's five kids. All of us have grown up because of that one decision. We've grown up to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've married people who are into that family that every one of our spouses know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Every one of our kids, every one of my brother's kids, there's 19 grandchildren now that every single one of them are serving Jesus and know him and love him and are serving Jesus in the church. So you're talking about one decision changed and affected 29 lives just right there. Generation to generation to generation, let alone all the people that go around and now who have been impacted by my parents and their ministry and what they've done. In fact, if you've been touched in any way by this church, it traces all the way back to that one decision. And anywhere from here on out, many people have gotten saved and baptized and lives changed and their hearts changed in this church in particular. And from here on out, throughout the lifespan of this church, hopefully from generation to generation until Jesus comes, there will be story after story of changed lives, of surrendered hearts to Jesus, and it all goes back to that one decision that one night. Why is it that some people seem to have influence and impact that lasts beyond a generation? Why is it that some people seem to have more influence and more impact and other people leave, lead lives that seem more uneventful and unfruitful from the next generation? Why, what is it, why is it some people have encounters with God that are so powerful that it lasts for generations and other people's encounters last at one and they stop at one generation? That's what I'm going to be talking about today. And, and here's what I want you to catch. Your legacy is tied to your level. Your legacy is tied to your level. I'm going to explain what that is. And I'm going to explain that in several different ways. But I, I can't promise that if you do what I'm talking about today, that your legacy will last generations. I can't promise that because God created us with free will to make our own decisions. And, and it may not be that way in your family but here's what I can tell you. If you don't do the things I'm telling you today, I can promise you it won't happen. That it will stop at a generation. And so I believe what I'm talking about today is very, very significant. And, and here's what I want you to know. God didn't create you for the sidelines. God created you for the front lines. Every single person here. God didn't create you for the sidelines, to sit on the bench somewhere, to be out of the game, to watch someone else run their race, to watch someone else have a legacy. God created each and every person here for the front lines. But everybody's front line is not the same. Of course, we know that. Everybody's not the same. Everybody's not going to have the same race to run. Everybody's not going to. But, but here's what I will tell you. God won't put you on the front lines if you're sitting in the wrong place or if you're in the wrong, on the wrong level. I'm gonna explain what that is, but I just want you to get this, that there are certain front lines that God cannot place you on if you're sitting in the wrong chair or if you're at the wrong level. So we want, how many of you guys wanna be on the front lines? I mean, I wanna be, I wanna have a legacy and an impact that lasts generations. I wanna have a legacy, but my legacy is tied to my level. And so here's what we have to understand. Number one, that spiritual maturity, believe it or not, can be measured. Sometimes we think of spiritual maturity as just kind of this vague thing. I believe spiritual maturity can be measured, or at least we can find indicators of it. And that's what I wanna talk about today. And we're gonna talk about four levels of spiritual maturity. 
Four levels, and we're going to see the four levels represented in different ways. They're represented by four levels of water, represented by four cups of communion, represented by four chairs that we sit in, and represented by four things that Jesus does to bread. All of these things are consistently throughout Scripture, and we see a pattern throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout all these examples throughout Scripture that represent these different levels. And so the first one, we've been looking at Ezekiel. Ezekiel's a guy who got taken in 597 B.C. out of Jerusalem into a place called Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. And he was taken out of, basically you could say, a Christian upbringing, if we were to bring it to our modern times, into a culture that wasn't following after God. In fact, they were following after false gods. And it was a culture much like today. And so uh, we look at this here. He sees a bunch of visions. He sees a bunch of weird things. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. Here's another one of those. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And this is the vision. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple. So use your imagination. The temple, water coming underneath, flowing out from the temple towards the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around the side of the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with the measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits. That's roughly a third of a mile. So he goes out into the water and he measures a thousand cubits. And then he led me through the water, and it was ankle deep. So he goes out about a third of the mile, and the water is ankle deep. Again, he measured a 1,000, another third of the mile, and he led me through the water, and it was knee deep. So here's another level of the water that he measures. Again, he measured a 1,000, and he led me through the water, and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a 1,000, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. Here we see four levels of spiritual maturity represented. Four levels. They're measured out. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and all in. Okay? All in. Um, how many of you guys have heard the story of Moses and the Israelites? Anybody? Moses, Israelites, 40 years, roaming around, all that stuff. Uh, you see, when they went around in the wilderness, they went around for 40 years. But they didn't have to go around for 40 years. They just did. And it's kind of somewhat of a mystery to us sometimes as we look at what they did and why they did what they did. It's kind of like, why would they settle for second best? Why would they settle for second best when God had a place called the promised land? They roamed around for 40 years. Well, here we can see uh, that it's tied back to four different cups that they would receive at Passover. Four different cups. So use your imagination. Uh, I've got a cup here somewhere. Four different cups. They would take a cup at Passover meal. And this was reminding them of what it was like of this event found in Exodus. When they would receive Passover, they'd have four cups at the meal. The first cup represented something. The second cup represented something. Third cup represented something. Each cup represented something. Now, uh, they were slaves for 430 years, the Bible says. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40 says the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Now, 
430 years is a long time, isn't it? I mean, 430 years. Can you imagine 430 years? Every single person that you ever have known have been in slavery for years. Your grandparents had been in slavery to the Egyptians for years. Your great-grandparents had been in slavery every, I mean, not just decades, not just generations, but centuries. It's all you'd ever known. Everything that would happen after that, as far as you knew, your kids were going to be slaves. Your, your kids' kids were going to be slaves. It's all you had ever known. They were slaves to Egypt. And then this miracle happens. Moses comes and he brings them out, this crazy Moses guy. After all these years, hundreds of years said, hey, you guys have been slaves all this time. I'm going to, God's told me to bring you out of Egypt. God's told me to take you out. And they thought he was crazy because he sounded crazy. And all these miracles happens. The plagues happen and miracle comes to, to pass and they get set free. They get out of slavery for 430 years, and then they roam around in the wilderness for 40 years. Why would they do that? Well, it's hard for us to, uh, it's easy for us to be hard on them, I should say. It's easy for us to be hard on them. And we're going to see why it was hard for them to roam around for 40 years based on these four cups that tied into four I will statements of what God would do for them. Okay, watch this in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. It says, say therefore to the people, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out. See, whenever they would receive Passover and remember them bringing out of Egypt, it would tie in with these four cups. They'd take the first cup, and the first cup would be represented by this I will statement. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And the second one, I will deliver you from slavery to them. The third one, I will redeem you from an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. The fourth one, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and I will show you that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. So as they would sit down to have a meal, they would take the first cup. And the first cup represented this. It was called the cup of sanctification. And it represented the I will statement that I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. This is, imagine this. Imagine this representing the grace of God in your life. Imagine this, if we bring this into the New Testament and the New Covenant, this is what Jesus does for us. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus took us out of sin? That Jesus brought us out, that he saved us, that he brought us out of that. It's the grace of God. It's the sanctification of God. It's the rescue from sin. It's, he restarted a right relationship with us because of Jesus. This is what God does. He sets us apart. And so they would take the first cup and they'd be reminded of this I will statement, the cup of sanctification. That could be represented in the first chair. I've, I've got saved. How many of you guys have been saved? We call that being saved. That means Jesus rescued us. That that's, could be represented here. That's kind of the ankle deep thing right there. The second cup that they would take at the meal would be the cup of deliverance. And that's based on the I will statement that says, I will deliver you from being slaves. You see, God had set them. He brought them out. He delivered them. He set them free from being slaves. But how many of you guys know you can be set free externally and still be bound internally? So they were set free externally, but they were still bound internally. And they needed to get, the, he brought them out of Egypt, but the second I will statement was trying to get the Egypt out of them. How many of you guys know that sometimes we can be brought out of the world, we can be saved, and we can still have some of the world in us? So he brought them out of Egypt, but the second one, there was a second cup, I will deliver, a cup of deliverance. Third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God's redemption, it, it, it enables us to live, it, it starts preparing us for the life God has called us to live. See, God has a dream. How do you guys believe that God has a dream for you to live? God has a calling for you to live. 
See, this cup of redemption is God's preparation process. He's redeeming. He's setting things right. It's a little uncomfortable, but he's setting things right. Number four, the cup of praise. And this is based on the I will statement that I will take you as my own people and be your God. Another word for this is the cup of fulfillment or literally the cup of halal. It meant living the abundant life. It meant living the dream for what you were created for. These four things represented four different levels of possibilities that the Israelites could live. Possibilities. These four opportunities are available for us too. We can experience the cup of sanctification and many of you have. But there's still a cup of deliverance where God wants to take the world out of you, not just set you free externally, but he wants to set you free internally. There's also another level where God begins to work on you and redeem you and work on your purpose, and it's a little uncomfortable. Then there's a fourth level where God sets you into living out your purpose, your full purpose. Our old identity is dead. When you get saved, it's like God gives you a new DNA strand. God gives you new fingerprints. You see, that's why it was easy for the Israelites to stay in the wilderness. Because the first cup was so great that they decided to camp out there. Imagine being slaves for 430 years and now you're not anymore. As good as the promised land would be, it's just pretty good to be not a slave anymore. And that's what I see with many of us believers. The first cup of grace is so good that we just camp out there. But that's the first cup. That's the first cup. The first cup was amazing, but that's the first cup. Your legacy is tied to your level. So before you can move on to the next level, here's the thing. Before you can move on to the next level, you have to be brutally honest about the level which you're currently at. And every single person here is currently at a certain level in their maturity with God. And today I'm going to ask you to be brutally honest. Brutally honest. First John, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. Now he's writing to all these different, um, different generations. Fathers, young men, kids, whatever. Because they were different generations in the natural. But how many of you guys know you can be different generations in the spirit too? You can be a spiritual child. You can be a spiritual father. You can be a spiritual young adult. I was reading a discipleship book uh, several months ago, and he described it this way, that you can locate yourself spiritually based on this idea found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. And so we're going to represent these levels or these cups by these chairs. This first chair represents a spiritual, we'll call them either spiritually dead, spiritually lost, and uh, just crossing over into the grace of God. Every single person has found themselves in this chair at one point or the other. Now, the thing about a spiritually lost person is that you may have not accepted Christ. You may not uh, know Jesus. You may be exploring spirituality. You may be searching out the things of God, but you haven't quite crossed the line. You may claim to be spiritual. You may, you know, how many you guys know that just because you claim to be spiritual doesn't mean you know Jesus? And so, here at Journey Church, if you're here and you're in that seat, you say, hey, I don't, I'm just seeking out this Jesus thing. I don't, I don't know much about this. I'm just checking it out. We want to set out a nice big guest chair for you. 
A nice place. How many of you guys believe that's, that's true? That's what we want to do. We want to have a nice place that if you're coming, it doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you know Jesus or not. You're welcome here this morning. You're welcome here. If you have a, a guest in your home, you want to set out a nice big guest chair for them. And so we have that here. So that's step one. Now, the interesting thing is you can identify what spiritual level you're at or what chair you're sitting in based on some things that you might say. And here are some things you might say if you're in this chair that might locate where you're at. So if you're here this morning, try to see if you can locate which chair you're in this morning, all right? Some things you might say if you're in this chair. I believe there are many ways to heaven. I'm a good person. I think there might be a higher power. These are some of the things that somebody in this chair might say. The next one, spiritual child or spiritual infant. I pulled this out of the nursery. Now, you may have accepted Christ, but you haven't moved past that point very far. You may uh, be seeking, I mean, you, you may uh, be stagnant, you may be immature, you may be, uh, some of the phrases you might say are Christians are hypocrites, even though you kind of are one. Uh, you might say, I'm a good person, a loving God would never send me to hell. You're kind of just barely past this. You might say, well, you know, churches just want their money, you're real cynical towards that, and you might say, uh, I'm too busy to get really involved at all. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. Or it might be more like a spiritual child. You might be growing in your relationship with God. You might be beginning to grow in your relationship with other Christians. You might be starting to apply God's word. But here's the brutal truth. And here's where I want you to be brutally honest. If it comes down to it, if you're in this chair as a spiritual child, it's really all about you. It's really all about me. The music's got to be about me. The, the, uh, I'm not getting fed or I, I'm not making any friends or the church's style isn't right. And so really, if you're in this chair, it's all about you. It's mostly, how many of you guys know that kids, if you have a kid in the house, a young kid, it's all about them, isn't it? I mean, it's all about what, what have you done for me lately? You know, it's, it's about what can you do? Bless me. But here's the interesting thing. You don't have to be a child or a new believer to be sitting in this chair. You could have been a believer for 30 years and still be in this chair. Isn't that ridiculous, you know? Uh, I've been here serving God for years and years and years, and yet I haven't moved beyond the me chair. I haven't moved beyond the me chair. Now, the next one, well, some of the things you might say is, I love church. Because I feel like I belong. My small group is a good thing. I, I really enjoy it. But it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. There's nothing wrong with some things being about you. But if it's all about you, then it's, it's, you're in the, the me chair. You're in the spiritual child chair. Uh, next thing is a spiritual young adult. Now, this chair is uh, a chair I pulled out of my office. It's very uncomfortable. If you sit in this chair very long, you're going to have to need a healing service after the, afterwards. It's designed to be in my office to keep you out of my office, or to at least not be there very long. This is where we shift from being me-focused to kind of me and other people-focused. It's like I'm aware now that there are other people that I need to serve. I'm aware that there are other people. It's not just about me. This is the cup of redemption where God starts to prepare us for our purpose. But it's an uncomfortable season. 
How many of you guys have found yourself in an uncomfortable season where God is working off the rough edges of you and he's preparing you for, to live your purpose? But it's uncomfortable. He's rubbing off the raw. I mean, it's, it's raw sometimes. It's uncomfortable. Some things you might say if you are in this phase is, well, I'm going to go visit somebody in the hospital tonight rather than going to the movies because you start to see it's not all about me. You might say, uh, I'm going to go serve in the nursery to let some other parent who really needs to hear the message this morning so that I'm going to give up something for me so that I can give to them. You, you might say, I need to, to branch out my connect group, but, you know, uh, there's no one else ready to lead. And you're kind of, you're thinking that way. You're thinking about multiplication. You're thinking about reaching out to other people, but it hasn't quite clicked yet. So we have the envelopes that we gave out at the first of this series. Several of you have shot back stories to me, people who have given big tips to people at, their, at the, you know, the restaurant or been at the right place at the right time in the grocery store, coworkers who needed stuff. I mean, all that is starting to happen in this chair. It's good. It's good stuff. And then we move on to the spiritual adult, the spiritual parent chair. You have a solid understanding of the Word of God. You've been... Uh, you know, reaching out to other people, giving to other people. You, you've been applying the principles of God's word. You're other-centered. You're God-dependent. You're able to reproduce disciples. How many of you guys want to be in this chair? I mean, I want to be in this chair. I want to be over there. But so many times we find ourselves in these different chairs. You know, spiritual children can't feed on meat, can they? Kids can't. I mean, you can't feed a baby a steak, right? I mean, you got to mash it up a little bit. And so... Uh, the interesting thing is that we are in different chairs. Now, some of you guys have identified what chair you're in. Well, you know, really, I'm just kind of over here. Or maybe it's really all about me. Or maybe God's kind of preparing me. It's uncomfortable. Or I really want to be over here. We are in different chairs in different areas of our lives. You might be in the me chair in your marriage and be over here in the spiritual adult chair while you're serving. You see, it's not just across the, the, it's not just across the board. So you've got to identify where you're at. Be brutally honest about it because your legacy is tied to your level. The danger is, is when we're in this chair right here, the me chair, but we think we're in this chair. We're in here and we, 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 want, we wonder why things aren't going right in our life because in our minds we're over here, but in actuality it's still all about us. Your legacy is tied to your level. We need to be moving towards these other things. So here's a, a quote I heard a long time ago. It's this, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You can teach what you know all you want. You can teach to your kids what you know all you want. But how many of you guys know that you reproduce children who see the real you? If you look around your friends and you look around your kids and you look around everything and you don't like it, Maybe because you're reproducing that in your life. How do we know if we're in this chair over here? Fourth level people, we'll call them, are located by where their dreams are located. Are your dreams about you? Are your dreams about others? Jeremiah chapter 29, 4. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not, in, do not decrease. And here's verse 7, the key verse. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in the, its welfare you will find your welfare. There they are. Ezekiel is in a, in a totally different foreign land. He's in a culture. It's prophesied they're going to get back to the good land, but they're just not there yet. And it's been prophesied to them, okay, while you're there in that land, seek the welfare of your city. Don't just seek your welfare. Seek the welfare of your city. Level four people seek the good and welfare of whole cities and generations, not of their own wants, wishes, and in the moment. Let me say that again. Level four people seek the good and welfare of whole cities and generations, not just the good of their wants and wishes in the moment. And to do this, we have to see a positive picture of the future. Listen, we've got such a dark view of the future sometimes, doom and gloom, and everything's going to hell in handbasket, and the world's getting worse, and we have to see bright things for our city, for our nation, for our future. That's fourth-level people. If you shift your dreams, you start to shift your level. You want to know how to shift your level? Stop. Shift your dreams from being all about you to being all about other people. Because there's always a temptation to stay in the same place. Can you guys stand up with me as we have the worship team come back up? We're going to get ready to go into communion. I know this message has been a little bit different. But I want to tell you something as we do that. Sometimes you can look around at your life and you can see how many good things are going on in your life and you can say, man, there's so much good. Why would I want to change anything? Maybe you're not in that situation today, but I know as a church, we're kind of in that situation. I mean, every single year they say 4,000 churches close their doors every single year. 80% of people who start in the ministry won't be in the ministry five years later. 80% of church plants fail. And as we look at Journey Church, and we've been here 11 years now, and we started off with nothing, no money, no people, nothing. And we look around and we see all that God has done. We see, you know, there'll be something like five, 600 plus people come through the doors today, just as far as just growth. We're having our, our best year ever as far as God multiplying our influence and increase. Uh, I mean, we're, we're able to give, we look like well over $70,000 to missions this year at least. I mean, when you look back at where we've come from, it's just incredible to think about. And it's easy when, whenever you find yourself in a place like that. I mean, when I came down here, most, most people are saying, why are you even here? Most church plants fail. It's, it's, you know, good luck. And then to see all that God has done in the last 11 years and hear the stories and see the baptisms and the changed marriages and the changed lives and the influence and the increase in salvations. And there's a temptation to just stay where we are. But our legacy as a church is tied to our level. And if we make this all about us, then our legacy is limited. Generation at best. But if we can somehow shift as a church and begin to start looking beyond us, looking out, I believe we'll have a legacy that will last. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. We want to move beyond that. God didn't create us for the sidelines. He created us for the front lines. 
Here's the thing. There's a temptation just to sit in the same chair because you get comfortable. Let me tell you something. You never drift up a chair. You always drift down a chair. As a church, we, we never drift up a chair. We always will drift down a chair. And as good as it is, we can't stay where we are. And so when we do this whole Stand in the Gap series, it's not about a building. We don't even have a building, guys. We don't have a building that we're going to, that we've got. It's not about, it's about just simply taking a step of faith. Just to say, God, we believe you've planted us here for the long term to leave a legacy. We don't know what that looks like. We want to take a step by faith. We want to invest in the future, something beyond ourselves, something bigger than ourselves. Something that's, that's bigger than any one of us could do. And so as we close up this series, I want you to pray about what you're supposed to do in the offering today. And we're not receiving an offering or anything. You can just give online or do whatever, give however you give. But pray about that to see if we can move beyond where we are and into something new. Let me close up and we're going to receive communion. Because the last thing that we see is what Jesus does to bread. We've seen the four levels of water, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, all in. We, we saw the four cups, the sanctification. We saw the deliverance. We saw the redemption. We saw the halal, the purpose. We saw the four levels of a spiritual, spiritually lost, a spiritual child, a spiritual young adult, spiritual adult. We see it represented again in what Jesus does to bread. It says this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. How many of you guys are thankful to be taken by Jesus? He takes us by his grace. He took bread, and after blessing it, you see, when we get into this chair, what we're really experiencing is the blessings of God. And God's blessings towards us are so good that sometimes we can get, we can get addicted to them. <laughs> and we just want to stay there in the blessings. And it's just, well, how many more blessings can there be? And it's good for a while, but he doesn't want to just leave us at the blessing. The blessing is good. How many of you guys love blessing your children? We love to bless our children. But that's not all our hope is for our kids. We don't want just them to just sit there and blessing after blessing. Then it says, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it. This is not the fun part. This is the uncomfortable part. This is where the edges are worn off. This is where we don't like to, most people won't make it to this level. Because as soon as you feel the pain, you go back to this level. But if we really want to step into our legacy and our purpose, we have to be broken in some areas. Some things have to be broken off our life. Some pride, some selfishness, some... It's a process. And he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it to the disciples. And this represents the fourth level. It's when we're given out to a world. We're given out to other people. Take just a moment and ask the Lord where you are at right now. And again, it might be in different areas of your life. And just surrender these areas and say, God, I'd be brutally honest this morning. This is the same thing God wants to do with us as a church. Starts us off. We've experienced a lot of blessings as a church, guys. We really have. God has been faithful to our church. I mean, we've seen incredible things happen. But there are times when things have to get broken off of us, you know, when we have to start getting a little bit uncomfortable, getting out of our comfort zone. Why? Because ultimately God wants us to live our purpose, which is to be given out. That's why we're here as a church. That's why we're in this community. 
It's not to just stay blessed. It's not just to grow numerically. It's not just to have all the fun things we do. That's, that's all great. That's all great. But here's the, here's the purpose. Here's the purpose. It's to be given out. So that's our prayer. That's our prayer. Lord, we just thank you for what you're doing in our church, for what you're doing in these lives. Lord, I pray that there'd be a revelation moment that would happen right now in all of our hearts, that we'd be able to identify where we're at. Lord, that you would give us practical decisions and steps. For some of us, it's just a simple one decision is going to move us forward. Lord, that we begin to shift our dreams, be able to see how you see, be able to do what you want us to do. Lord, as a church, help us to move forward beyond just being taken by you and being blessed. Lord, break off those things that are maybe pride or blinders in our heart and in our eyes so that we can be given, so that we can enter into a legacy that lasts generations, not for our glory, but for yours. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to receive communion during this song. And be reminded that Jesus takes us, blesses us, We get some things broken off of us so that we can be given out. And as you come to the table, there's tables in front, there's tables behind. I just challenge you to surrender some area to Jesus this morning. And instead of just going ankle deep or knee deep or even waist deep, say, Jesus, I'm going all in. You know what that river represented that was flowing out of the temple? It represented the life-giving presence of God. And it says that later on in the chapter that everywhere that river flowed, the trees would flourish. The fish would flourish. Every place, and I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be ankle deep in the healing waters of God. I want to be all in. I want to be, be the place where the healing waters of God is, is just growing everywhere, everything that it touches. Our legacy is tied to our level. I want to be given out by Jesus. Amen. Man, let's receive communion. Take it back to your seat. Receive communion there at your seat during this song at some point. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.